church? Hell no. Are you no longer feeling comfortable in church? This podcast is for individuals who are desperately missing God, but don't know how to find Him. Substance abuse, domestic violence, sex offenses, acrimonious divorce can contribute to discomfort in the church. For these individuals, church is just not an option anymore. Ordained minister Dennis Hall and his guests invite you to listen to this podcast for topics that are inspiring, uplifting, and will bring hope to those who just feel church is not relevant in their lives today. I'm Dr. Dennis Hall, and I am delighted that you're listening to our podcast today. You know, sometimes when I'm listening to the news, I think the people on the newscast don't know what they're talking about. Or they seem uninformed. They're not telling the whole story. And and I have found this throughout this week when we've heard about what's going on in Israel. You know, it's uh, it's just amazing to me to hear the, the news reports that have been pouring out of Israel about this, uh, about the Palestinian militant group, which are considered terrorists, by many countries around the world, launched a devastating assault on Israel over last weekend. Now, for context, Israel is about the size of New Jersey. And this was a complex, coordinated uh, you know, land, sea, and air, uh, air assault on Israel. And the news reports are telling us that over 1,400 people were killed and injuring thousands more. You know, it's estimated that these Hamas fighters have taken more than 150 Israeli civilians, soldiers, and foreign nationals hostage. At least 11 Americans were killed in this assault and others taken hostage. You know, the human carnage in this attack has been horrific and savage. You know, the people, uh, the people killed by Hamas were unarmed, unarmed civilians who were savagely assassinated, sometimes raped, and then assassinated. You know, it's reported that 40 babies were killed, you know, some of them uh, beheaded. You know, and then we hear that the uh, Muslim nation Iran participated in the planning and the funding of this attack. And I'm, as I hear all this, I can't help but wonder what we Americans really know about Israel and, and, and that part of the world. Now, just a word about Hamas. Uh, this terrorist group was formed in 1987 and is one of the groups that oversees what is called the Gaza Strip. Now, this is a 139-square-mile strip of land. You know, it's a, some of the, uh, the barrier islands on our eastern shore are almost as large as the Gaza Strip. It's located on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, bordered, yes, by Israel to the east and the north, and Egypt to the southwest, and 
With a population of 2 million people on this 139-square-mile piece of land, it ranks as the third most densely populated area in the world. Now, even in your lifetime, listeners, and my lifetime, we watched a, a war after war and skirmishes after skirmishes that just goes back almost to the beginning of time uh, between Palestinians and the Jews in Israel. Israel today is considered the most advanced country in Western Asia. They're ranked as the fourth most successful economy among developed countries in the world and have the highest number of billionaires in the Middle East. Israel also ranks fifth in the world by the percentage of individuals in high-skilled employment. Israel has the second largest number of startup companies in the world after the United States and the third largest number of the NASDAQ-listed companies after the U.S. and China. Now, I say all this simply to say that the Jewish nation of Israel has become a major economic power in the world. But an entirely different story emerges for the life of Palestinians on the Gaza Strip. Since 2007, Israel has imposed an air, land, and sea blockade on the Gaza Strip, saying the move was necessary to protect and prevent Hamas attacks on their country. And they've experienced this in the past. It's not like they just willy-nilly decided to put some kind of embargo on the Gaza Strip. No. It was in response to attacks. The United Nations and international human rights groups have condemned the blockade and have described uh, the Gaza Strip as the world's largest open-air prison. Residents of Gaza are surrounded by concrete walls and bobbed wire fences, unable to leave the country without Israeli-approved permits. Now, half of Gaza's populations under the age of 19. Half under the age of 19. But they face some pretty dire prospects, economic prospects. You know, after 16 years of, uh, of, of uh, Israel's blockade and the ban on imports and exports, their economy has been crippled. The unemployment rate in Gaza is above 40%. And more than 65% of the population is under the poverty line. And 63% of the residents in Gaza are considered food insecure, meaning they may not have enough to eat. Now, these statistics are why you are seeing some around the world, even in the United States, supporting Palestinians in this current conflict. 
But let me tell you something. Even knowing these statistics, it is impossible, completely impossible, to reconcile the cruel attacks on the unarmed civilians of Israel that resulted in the deaths of over 1,400 people and thousands more injured. Well, for Jews, Christians, and Muslims, Israel is considered the Holy Land. Jews consider Jerusalem to be the capital of their ancient state, praying in its direction. And for Muslims, Jerusalem is the third holiest city in their faith after Mecca and Medina. You know, it's estimated that at least 150,000 Muslims make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem each year. And then for Christians, Israel is a holy land. It's a place where the graves and the relics of many of the prophets like Moses and Abraham exist. It's the land where uh, Christ was born in Bethlehem and ministered all around the area, all around Jerusalem, and was crucified and rose from the grave. Now, you might be astonished at this number. Over three and a half million Christians per year go to the Holy Land. And you know what? I've never had that privilege, but I've talked to many, many people who've been to the Holy Land, and every single Christian that I've talked to that has visited the Holy Land tell me their life and their faith was changed by that visit. Now, you're going to hear from the um, news pundits uh, various things about the importance of the nation of Israel. And they're going to focus on the fact that Israel is our only ally in this uh, Mediterranean area, a democratic nation, that they're the anchor of stability in an area of the world that is totally unstable. And, uh, and all of that's true. And they will speak largely in terms of the importance of Israel in our military defenses in that part of the world. But I want to talk to you about a different set of reasons that you should care about the nation of Israel, especially if you're a God-believing follower of Jesus Christ. Now, it's important that you understand God's promises to the prophet Abraham and the nation of Israel. You know, God gave Abraham three primary promises um, and exclusive land and worldwide blessings. We read in Genesis uh, 22, 17, and 18, when it says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed. Now, at that time, the Canaanites and the Philistines occupied uh, this area. You know, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, 
I will give this land. He's talking about modern-day Israel, Genesis 12, 6, and 7. He said, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. God speaking to Abraham. He said, go walk the length and the breadth of this land, for I am giving it to you, Genesis 13 through 17. He told Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to take possession of it. And on that day, the scripture says, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give the land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. In Genesis 15, 18, the whole land of Cana, modern day Israel, where you will reside. I will give you everlasting possession. God, I will give you, Abraham, everlasting possession to you and to your descendants, and after that I will be your God. Genesis 17, 8. God, God entered into a covenant with Abraham to assure him that these promises would be honored and followed through. There was a Hebraic custom of cutting animal pieces in two, in two pieces, where they left a path between them. And this was signifying to Abraham that it would be his understanding that God would be declaring a curse on himself if he failed to keep his promises. But God does not fail to keep his promises. Now, if you're asked the question of who formed the nation of Israel, the answer is, it was God. It was God. You know, uh, you may remember that Abraham had a son, Isaac, and uh, Isaac had a son, Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. In Genesis 32, 28, Jacob, he had 12 sons. And uh, those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And through Jacob's second youngest son, Joseph, the people of Israel came into Egypt. Genesis 46, 1 through 4. And when the people of Israel came into Egypt, they only numbered about 70 people. This was not a nation. This is sort of like a, an extended family, 70 people. And then the Bible tells us that the uh, people of Israel were in Egypt for 430 years. Now, during that time, there was exponential growth of the Jewish people. And they became a people nation while enslaved in Egypt. And then what? God raised up a deliverer, Moses. Now, in the Bible, we read the story of Moses, and many of you who are listening have seen the movies about when God parted the Red Sea and redeemed his people in Exodus 19.4. And when God spoke through Moses and said, let my people go, Israel went free. Israel went free. You know, uh, 
Uh, and then the story goes on, and it's it's an unbelievable story in the Old Testament about the uh, history of the Jews. Let me tell you something. Eventually, uh, Samuel became the spiritual leader of Israel. And the people of Israel came to Samuel saying, Samuel, give us a human king. Uh, we, we know God is king, but we want to be like all the other nations. Now, the scripture tells us that the prophet Samuel was grieved about this. And he went to the Lord saying, they want a human king. What should we do? And then the Lord responds in 1 Samuel 8, 7 and says, Listen to the voice of the people and all they say to you. For they have not rejected you, Samuel. Today they have rejected me from being the king over them. So, for the first time since Israel got into this land, the nation of Israel rejected God's kingdom. She rejected God. She rejected the holy, righteous, pure king, and instead she got human kings, and they were a disaster. You know, these human kings led Israel all the way to civil war. The ten tribes in the north split off with the two tribes in the south, and Israel had to deal with all kinds of political manipulation and corruption and wars and tension. Now, you know, when you read the Old Testament, you really witness the uh, failure on Israel's part. They continually failed at keeping their end of the bargain with God. You know, the Israelites did not, they didn't keep the commandments of God. You know, they time and time again refused to obey God. Now, what did God do about this unfaithfulness? Well, he gave them another chance over and over and over again. Now, yes, he disciplined Israel, but then he, he reiterates his love and his expectations and his desires for them. You know, the love story between uh, Israel and God uh, and his compassion and mercy, it's the same love story that God has for us today. Are we all, are we all like the Jews of Israel where we reject God's direction for us? We reject his commandments. We reject his uh, teachings. And then over and over again, God has to show us his mercy and grace. Now, you know, following the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and his ministry in and around Jerusalem, most Jews rejected him as the Messiah. You know, the history of the Jewish nation has overall been horrible. You know, as the Roman Empire began to be Christianized, Jewish people began to be dispersed all over the world, and by the second century, uh, it's estimated that maybe only 25,000 Jews lived in the area that we know today as Israel. You know, 
from the 1500s. We don't have time to go back into all the years of history of Israel, but from the 1500s, uh, the, 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 that area was ruled by the people known as the Ottomans. And they ruled that area right up to the 20th century. And following World War I, the British were able to reconquer this area from the Ottomans. And they went to the League of Nations who gave Britain mandatory power over this area back in 1922. And the British began to advocate and, and encourage creating a home for the Jews who numbered less than 100,000 people in uh, 1919. So, obviously, Jews were migrating back to their promised land. And by 1940, there were approximately a million Jews living in this area. And there were armed conflicts between the uh, these uh, Jewish hamlets and towns and the Palestinians all during this time, and it went on for decades. And now the British government finally turned the problem over to the newly formed United Nations that formed just after World War II. And they voted to divide this area uh, the Palestinian-Israel area into two states, one Jewish and one Arab. And the decision was opposed by the Arabs. But the nation of Israel was formed. Now, this reminds many of us of the question posed by Isaiah, that prophet Isaiah a long, long time ago, when he said, whoever heard such a thing, whoever has seen such a thing as this, a country can be formed in one day or a nation brought forth in one moment. You read that in Isaiah 6, 8 in the Old Testament. But in May 1948, the resounding answer was yes, yes. The German theologian Karl Barth, he proclaimed at that time, he said, now we can read in the newspapers, God keeps his promises. So, I return to my question. Why should God-fearing followers of Jesus Christ worry about Israel? Well, Jesus told us that if we love him, we will follow his commandments. And one of his greatest commandments in Matthew 28, 19, uh, and 20, known as the Great Commission, was to therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to uh, obey everything I have commanded, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the adage. So, those who proclaim to be followers of Jesus are commanded by the Messiah to go and make disciples of all nations. 
less than 1% of the population of, of Jews in Israel are Christians. So you might say, well, the Jews had their chance and rejected Jesus. Well, I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul's take on this is. That Israel's collecting salvation is a great magnitude of blessing for the whole world. The Apostle Paul wrote, Did God's people stumble beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people. God wanted his own people to become jealous and claim what the Gentiles have for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater the blessing of the world will share when they finally accept it. Romans 11, 13, and 8. And this is the Apostle Paul talking to us. In other words, beyond just caring for and about the Jewish people, believers in Jesus Christ are called to provoke provoke the Jewish people to godly jealousy. It's through the love of God and loving and honoring His people, His people, the Jewish nation, that the flames of Jewish revival will come forth. Now, this is a responsibility that the Gentile believers carry, one that has been entrusted to them by God. My God. So let me say these things as, as I begin to wind down this podcast. You know, Christians should care about Israel because Israel is the key to understanding God's love, purpose, and desire for humanity. Yes, it's true that Israel is a strategic military ally in the Mediterranean. However, much more importantly, they are a nation established by God and are His chosen people. So I ask you today, as the world is focused on this war against Israel, to pray for the nation of Israel and all the victims of this current war. God bless you for listening to this podcast today, and I hope you will come back and uh, join us again in the future. Thank you so much.